tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. The views and opinions expressed on Unlock Your Wealth Radio are those of the host, guests, and callers only and are not necessarily the views of Unlock Your Wealth Radio, Heather Wagonalls, or Success Publishing International. More willpower than a barefoot woman at a shoe sale. Able to stretch a single paycheck for an entire month. Makes money concepts easier than third grade math. Introducing your purveyor of prosperity, Heather Wagonalls. Stress all night, take your mind off your money and focus on your life. Money don't matter for the stuff it bought, it's the way you think, not what you've got, yeah. Unlock Your Wealth Radio starts now. Get your money man. This segment of Unlock Your Wealth Radio is sponsored by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at unlockyourwealthradio.com forward slash free book and click on the link to over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome, everyone. Thanks so much for stopping by. I am your purveyor of prosperity here at Unlock Your Wealth Radio, and I am flanked by my maestro of moolah, Michael Terry. Hey, hey, hey. And we are going to help you get your money mind right on today's show with the following great features. So uh, first off, we have an amazing interview with one of my newfound friends. And I just adore this man, Jeffrey Tucker from the Fee Organization, which is the Foundation for Economic Education, Fee.org. He is also the big cheese at um, Liberty.me. So... Cool. We're going to learn more about him uh, on today's show and have him espouse some of his wisdoms, grace us with his presence, if you will. And then uh, we also have our moolah word of the day, um, which is uh, an interesting term. It's one that probably anybody that's ever had a tax issue will really, really like. And uh, are you doing what I think you're doing? <laughs> well, yeah, sort of. <laughs> are you looking for this week's key? I am. You cheater. I am. I do cheat. And our key from our Keys to Riches Financial Philosophy this week is... Dreams with deadlines. Yes, it is. We are in our third key in the Keys to Riches Financial Philosophy, and it will be Dreams with Deadlines. And if you haven't joined us for a while, the Keys to Riches is now its own show. The Keys to Riches, powered by Unlock Your Wealth Radio, can be found on our Unlock Your Wealth Radio station. And also at keystoriches.com with all of the Keys to Riches resources, plus our free video class where you can take and learn all about the keys and how you can manage your money better with our biology-based money management tools. It's pretty cool. This week's moolah word of the day, abatement. Abatement is a reduction in or a reprieve from a tax debt or any other payment obligation. An abatement is sometimes included in a contract. For example, abatement of rent in the event that a building is destroyed by a fire, flood, or other accident. So uh, I would like to um, get started with our guest. 
if I could. Now, Mr. Tucker, Mr. Jeffrey A. Tucker specifically, I met two years ago at Freedom Fest. And I was so excited to meet him. First off, he is the ultimate bon vivant. And uh, he's always dressed in a snappy suit. He pulls off both single or double-breasted fabulously. He wears a bow tie, which I love bow ties. And uh, most of the times that I've been around him, he sports a goatee, of which I love goatees, too. I'm kinda, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of cheesy like that, I guess. <laughs> Jeffrey Tucker is Chief Liberty Officer and founder of Liberty.me. He is also the Director of Digital Development for the Foundation for Economic Education. He's the Executive Director of Laze Fair Books. He's a Research Fellow at the Acton Institute, Policy Advisor of the Heartland Institute, founder of the Cryptocurrency Conference, member of the editorial board of the Molinari Review. Anyway, he's author of five books. He's written 150 introductions to books and many thousands of articles appearing in scholarly and popular press today. His new book, Bit by Bit, How P2P is Freeing the World, with an introduction by Patrick Byrne of Overstock.com and a foreword by investor Roger Ver. Uh, but early in his career, following his degree in economics and journalism, he served as a research assistant to Ron Paul at his private foundation. Yeah. So let's uh, let's bring him on. Jeffrey, welcome to Unlock Your Wealth Radio. I am so glad you have chosen to be a part of our fabulous show here. Yes. Well, I'm just glad to be invited. And you know that I'm speaking to you from uh, a place called Opryland in... in, in um, uh, where is this? Nashville. Oh, God. In Nashville. Uh, Nashville. Nashville, right. And, and it's a magnificent capitalistic achievement. I mean, you walk into this hotel. It's really like eight hotels in one. And there's a huge dome over the top of it so they can cool control place, the temperature yeah. perfectly. There's like 100 restaurants and shops. And it's just marvelous. And, you know, you're in a place like this. And you're just reminded the state of nature does not give us marvelous things like it has to be created by human hands using uh, outrageous levels of risk and investment. And the civilization that can host something as so wonderful like this that is designed to serve human beings and all their needs is, is what we should be shooting for. I so it's, think- it's an inspiring place to be. Yeah. I think so. You know, I, I've been to Nashville several times, but I have never been to Opryland. Oh, that's great. Oh, really? Yes. Well, I tell you what, it is, it's an unforgettable experience because, for example, you can go on a boat ride <laughs> down a river in, in, in your hotel, you know, so my, you just step outside your hotel room. And you oh, can, my gosh, Michael said his buddy plays on the boat, plays, plays music on the boat. Uh, <laughs> oh, so there you go. I mean, I mean, the whole, everything that's worth having is like right in this hotel. I, it's mystifying to me. Uh, tonight, a number of people at this conference are going out, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Don't leave this hotel. This is the place to be. People always think there's something better. You know, you know how that is? <laughs> exactly. Um, there is not. Well, that's awesome. We are where it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a great place. So some, some backstory for, for the backstory for the uh, audience, you and I met at Freedom Fest a couple of years ago when I was a guest of the Atlas Society at the time. And uh, you're one of my most favorite, like you moved to the top of the list this year is, is my most favorite ballroom dance partner ever on the planet. <laughs> but uh, the, the point of Freedom Fest is, you know, uh, and, and I talk a lot about this on my show, especially this summer with all the interviews we did, that 
you know, we can't have financial freedom unless we have personal and economic freedom uh, and political freedom. And and so um, you write... Well, they all go together. Yes. They're, they're all united. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. And you discover this historically. You know, I... I, people think that well, humankind has always had money. We've always you know, gotten paid in money and gone out and spent it on stuff. That is just simply not true. This is a, a, you know, a, a product of modernity. It only emerged very commonly for people to have money in their hands after the end of feudalism. Because under the feudal uh, system, uh, the way, what you did with your labor was you purchased security, uh, which meant that you were under, under the protection of a lord, you know, who lived, lived in the castle. He would somehow defend, your, defend you against, you know, invaders. And, and, and you got some shelter. Maybe you have a small shack that you had to build. And you got food. Okay, so the whole of your life, you're, you're working like crazy. And what are you getting for it? You're getting security. You're getting a, a little bit to eat of whatever you happen to be able to grow and maybe trade and barter. And, and basically, you were, you were just trying to survive. I mean, it was barely, feudalism was, you know, barely above hunter-gatherer. It was actually better because at least you, got, you didn't get invaded and get looted. And anyway, the point is that at the, at the later stages, and it took several hundred years for this to emerge, but money developed. I mean, we discovered commodities that everybody wanted, and then those commodities were demanded not for consumption, but for trading for other things. And that was the advent of modern commercial life. So this comes about, you know, essentially in the uh, in the in the uh, 15th century, very commonly, and as the 16th century uh, all over Europe, where where as as a a normal person, just not a high-born person and not a slave, but you actually, instead of being paid in vegetables and, and uh, you know, the right to, to farm land, you've got money in your paw. So what does that mean? That means that you can go out and spend it on things of your choice. Of course, those things have to be there, you know, right. <laughs> and that was another great advance of civilization, that you could actually find things to spend your money on, you know. You could go down and buy fish that the, that the fishermen were bringing to the harbors. You could buy a table made by a craftsman somewhere. You could buy the service of a, of a, of a, a medical doctor. Um, you know, th- these sorts of things. And, and then that's where you saw the birth of what we call modernity. We take it for granted now. But all I'm saying is this. Uh, the ownership and control and earning of money is inseparable from the development of civilization itself. Those two things rose up together. They're inextricably linked. Because with more money means more choice and, and therefore, you know, a more flourishing life and a freer life. That's why we talk about money. That's why we talk about wealth and human choice. 
I love that you connected those two. You are listening to Jeffrey Tucker on Unlock Your Wealth Radio. This segment is sponsored in part by KeepMyID.org, the only service that actually prevents identity theft. All others are just monitoring services. Put your credit on lockdown for Unlock Your Wealth Radio listeners by visiting our website at unlockyourwealthradio.com forward slash keepmyid and click on the link to start protecting your financial future right now. Remember to use promo code WAGS. So, Jeffrey, you you married choice and money together, and money equals choice. And I think that people mistakenly uh, equate money with only power and corruption. Why is it important that we equate money with choice? Well, your money by itself, you can't consume it. You can't eat your 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 dollar bills, you know, I mean, it's what you do with your money. That's really, really important. If you have overblown political establishments, like we have, you know, pretty much all over the world. Yeah. You're going to use your money to buy power and buy influence. And that's very regrettable. It's sort of a waste. Um, under conditions of freedom, what you do with your money is, is help yourself and, and help others to have a better life. And, you know, that's not greedy to want to live better. You know, that's, that's not corrupt. That's actually what we're, what we're put on this earth to do, you know, to yeah. rise above the state of nature, you know? Oh, agreed. Seek pleasure, avoid pain. Yeah. It's a good, it's and, a good and, policy. And to unleash a happier life, longer lives, happier lives. Uh, it's fascinating to me to cap, I like to, this way, I always like to think about this, you know, to contrast the capitalistic economy versus the feudal economy. Uh, under capitalism, you have the choice of what you want to buy, how much security you want relative to how much risk you want to have, how much you want to uh, consume now is versus uh, uh, save for later, uh, how much you want to be philanthropically minded and help others, uh, whether you want to save for your children and pass it on to the children. These are all a, a gigantic constellation of choices that were given... Um, uh, thanks to thanks to capitalism and thanks to the uh, to the invention establishment and codification of money as as the way we go about facilitating human association. So yeah, you're right. Everybody like criticizes money or something like I, you know people think it taints life. You know that it that it that it that it introduces sort of moral corruption into what would otherwise be a beautiful Rousseauian collective or something. That is a lie. It is not true. Money unleashes the human spirit and, and gives rise to creativity and makes the world a more productive and peaceful place. I like that. I think that's, there's profundity in that. So how do you contrast that with the going assumption of the power brokers trying to keep the man down and, uh, and, and where people lose hope about their financial future? It's almost like they feel like that indentured servant from feudalism. Oh, they, they really do. And, you know, I have to say a lot of this comes down to to public policy, really. I mean, so much of our paycheck is just robbed from us every day. This wasn't true in the 19th century. Imagine, you know, I always like to help people try to think about a freer world. You know, if this were the 1890s, for example, um, 
every single penny that you earned by the sweat of your brow, you would be able to keep every bit of it. Nobody could take it from you. You didn't have to ask permission from anybody to keep all your money. It was just if you made the money, then it was yours. Um, do you know the the um, the uh, great intellectual uh, former slave named Frederick Douglass? Do you know the name? Sure. Yes. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was a great nineteenth-century figure. And his book uh, on 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 his on his life, his biography, is fascinating because you know what led him to want to leave uh, to flee his status as a slave was was this. He he had a he had a great talent as a um, bricklayer, and his master had farmed him out to to um, some owners in, in Baltimore. And then at the end of the day, the the um, the, the uh, it was like a contract. Would, the contract would pay him for his services. He would take the money back to his master, and the master would take the money and then give Frederick Douglass back some percentage of it. You know, maybe it was half, maybe it was a third, something like that. Well, one day it occurred to Frederick Douglass, hey, wait a minute. All of this money is earned by me. Why am I not entitled to keep the whole of it? Because I made it. it I, I have it in my hand because of the work that I did. And when that occurred to him, he realized uh, the implications of slavery. That slavery meant uh, basically stealing a portion of your life. And, and he thought, I'm a full right human being, and I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And then he plotted his escape, and he, you know, he got to Boston and in New York, and then finally Boston, and lived as a free man. But what, it's, it's a fascinating case to me, because what to Frederick Douglass, what freedom meant was, was the right to earn money and to keep all of it for yourself and do with it what you wanted to do. And anything less than that was slavery. Now, isn't that a, a, an, an intriguing way to think about it? It's very, I, mean, I find that fascinating. It, it's provocative because then what have we done to ourselves a <laughs> hundred years exactly. later? You know, a hundred years later, we've got, we've got the state standing between us and virtually everything we do, you know, the state is standing there trying to, you know, adjudicating our relationships determining the, the, the terms on which we, we trade with somebody else and taking a, a cut, you know, as uh, supposedly uh, in thanks for their, their great services. <laughs> but, but actually, I, you know, I think back at it. In 1890, we were actually much better off as a country. Things weren't perfect, but people were freer. And I think a lot of that has to do with the income tax. It has to do with uh, things like the withholding tax or with mandatory health care coming from our businesses. All the things that government does these days um, really introduce a kind of quasi-slavery-style conditions that we are supposed to have left already. Well, yeah, you're you right, know, we reintroduced them. My, I, mean, I remember my first husband, hence I'm on number two, <laughs> but my first husband did not want to go for the next promotion. He'd worked for the um, city municipality, and he didn't want to go for the next promotion because it would have pushed him into a higher tax bracket, and he would have lost money in his paycheck. And he, he didn't want his... And so it's... Uh, it influenced his decision to be ambivalent. 
And he chose ambivalence yeah. and stagnation over progress. I mean, and right. and that just made no sense to me. Like, why why you would let something like that? Because at some point, you'd hit the next tax bracket, and you'd be making so much money that it wouldn't matter at that point because you'd be able to save so much more. Why do you think there are so many people who make a good living but advocate for heavy taxation, that advocate for all these programs? What's in it for them? Is it to alleviate guilt? What drives them? Yeah. I, I, I think you just put your finger on it. There is an, an element of guilt. Uh, the capitalist rich today um, are constantly told that uh, they need to give back to the community as if they haven't done enough for the community by building wealth and building capital. Our civilization depends upon the building and amassing of capital. Otherwise, uh, we're sunk. You know, I, j- just to trade day-to-day is not enough. You have to be able to build up savings and capital in order to have an awesome uh, an awesome civilization. There's just no getting around it. You've, you know, you go to a place like Haiti, for example. I mean, one of the world's poorest countries. What you find there is not a bunch of uh, people, lazy people. I mean, on the contrary, everybody's working like crazy. I mean, 16-hour days, people are bustling and hustling and buying and selling and, and, and trucking and barter, bartering and making, making soup and buying things. And, you know, it's, it's just a bustle of activity, the whole of Haiti. And you're like, what's wrong with this place? Why is everybody so poor? Everybody's working so hard, but everybody is so poor. What is the problem? And the problem is the absence of capital. That everything everybody is doing is just for the day. They're just feeding themselves and, and, and they're planning only a day in advance, a couple of, you know, a week in advance. Anybody who amasses capital, it gets pillaged, it gets looted by the state, sometimes by private criminals. So there's no accumulation of wealth. The result is that everybody has to work harder than ever to earn less and less, and you can never actually build up a real, a real uh, functioning civilization. And so, in other words, it's not because of the absence of work or enterprise. These people are very enterprising. They're very hardworking. It's because of the absence of capital. That's what it all comes down to. We've seen so many shows now that Cuba's kind of been opened up, or Cuba, as it is pronounced. And and we see how this, uh, you know, 100% employment in Cuba really works. You know, we watch a lot of those car restoration shows. And we're watching these people that just can't get around because they can't buy the parts. Oh, they isn't can't. It something? It's, yeah. it's insane. It is, it's so interesting. It's so fascinating to look at Cuba because... You know, it's a museum. The whole country is is a museum. Um, you know, under the Batista regime, which was fascistic, no question, um, and a lot of sweetheart deals, a lot of political terror went on. However, the regime did allow basic uh, human right to to amass wealth, and it was trying to foster a kind of a capitalism. And then, you know, what you saw was a beautiful developing structure. And we're talking about, you know, back, back in the 1940s and 1950s. Um, so the communists came to power, you know, based on the popularization of the idea that there was grave injustice in the country, and maybe there was. But what they replaced it with was something even more unjust and more collectivist, which was just a, an economy of, of pillaging, looting, uh, 
and and stealing, you know, uh, in the name of collectivism, and and it's so amazing what happened. The revolution truly stopped the progress of history. It just stopped it in its tracks. So now you go back to Cuba today, what you see is a sort of a dilapidated 1950s style economy. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just the most remarkable thing. And we look at the pictures today and we go, oh, look at those uh, beautiful uh, cars. You know, those are lovely. Well, yeah, for 50-year-old cars, you know, and people are still trying to keep them running. And uh, I have friends of mine that now that free trade is established have uh, been um, moving to, going to Cuba. They disassemble, uh, they buy the the cars for a lot of money in Cuba. They disassemble them and ship them back to the United States, reassemble them and sell them for five and ten times what they paid for them. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Those antique cars, it's pretty funny. It's amazing. So, yeah, Cuba is a weird place. I mean, we just have to hope that, um, you know, they can get back to some semblance of uh, capitalism which I think is, is gradually developing. You know, no socialist society can ever really last for very long. Uh, finally, even the regime itself realizes that the money is being, the wealth is being so destroyed that you know, something has to happen. So um, this is why socialism's mostly been vanquished all over the world, though it still lives in a few parts. And, well, and, we're, and we're desperately trying to bring it to the United States, by the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, there's that. <laughs> there's, a, there's always hope. I'll hold out hope. I'd like to switch gears really quick here at because uh, we're we're coming, we're winding down. I read a really great article about uh, from you about writing books, and you talked about your bourbon for breakfast mm. book. And so oh, yeah, we yeah. just. Tell us, because it's one of many works that you have now, and you're a prolific right. writer um, and speaker, right. and and just share with us a little bit about Bourbon for Breakfast. Okay. Uh, well, thanks for asking that. Um, I think the, the essay you're talking about is something like, why you should write a book. Yes, you know, that's the like one. That. And, I, and, I, yeah. and I kind of recounted my, uh, my first book as being... Um, well, I should say that all good writing is ultimately biographical. I really believe that. But your first writings are typically more overtly so. So I had been writing a number of essays that were about lessons about liberty and life that I had sort of discerned uh, from my own life, you know, things I encountered. Um, and I, I, put them, I put them together in this, in this book called Bourbon for Breakfast. And so the title came because... <laughs> Uh, it's just a small story, but you know, you know how it is sometimes in life. It's it's the small things that really penetrate your heart and 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 change your outlook. It's not typically a, some big treatise you read. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's the small small things. Mm-hmm. And I, I there was a historian uh, at Auburn University. I really admired an old Southern gentleman. He's a very sweet man, and he invited me over for coffee one morning, and it was about seven a.m. And, uh, and he said, would you like some coffee? And I said, well, sure, thank you. And he, then he said, would you like some bourbon in that coffee? <laughs> and my first thought was, this is outrageous. <laughs> you know, you can't drink bourbon before 5 p.m. <laughs> and, and, then, and then suddenly I realized, wait, who says? <laughs> who set up this... Who said this is the rule, right? Why do we believe this, this stuff? Just because 
It's in the air, you know. Right. And this old Southern gentleman had the independence of mind to just rethink some settled wisdom and do something really epic. And he gave me bourbon in my coffee, and it gave me a supercharge, and I loved it. It was delicious. I was happy. And from that moment on, I thought, you know what? Let's rethink things. Let's just test, you know, social conventions and political conventions <clears throat> against, you know, our own wishes and desires. Just don't, don't accept things because they exist. Subject things to the, to the uh, rule of reason, you know. Maybe the world can be a different kind of place. Maybe your life can be different from what you think it has to be. It just requires that you leave the status quo, take some risks, and try it out. And so that's why I called it Bourbon for Breakfast. Because it's, to me, that is a slogan that, that signals the moral and practical necessity of independent thinking and living. Well, I love that story, and I think that's so amazing. So if, if listeners want to take a risk and they want to find out more about you and your work and your writing, where can folks go find you? You can go to fee.org, uh, F-E-E.org, and that's, that's the website that I'm managing right now as a director of content. I was a director of digital development, so I built the thing, and now I'm I'm putting out 10 pieces of content today, and I tell you, you know, the, the whole purpose of this, of this content is really to inspire this sort of, um, I, guess, I guess I would say a revolutionary life, you know? Um, people who are willing to you know, take the risk or think outside the conventions and, and build a new kind of freedom that I think is, is we're rapidly losing. The way we're going to get back is by living differently. So that's the purpose of the website. So I'd invite any of your listeners to go there and check it out. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show. And for those of you who are driving around without a pencil, never fear. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is here where you can visit Jeffrey Tucker's show page and click on the links to get his books, his resources, his articles, and so much more. And for the maestro of moolah, Michael Terry, I'm Heather Wagonhalls. Now go out and unlock your wealth today. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is produced by Heather Wagonhalls and the Unlock Your Wealth Foundation. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com and its affiliates are copyrighted 2016 with all rights reserved. For more information on the Keys to Riches Financial Wellness Series, please visit our website at www.unlockyourwealth.com. Yeah.